You're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars podcast with Nefa Ahoy, a show that shares the stories of successful Africans in business and how they did it. It's our story told our way to inspire our people. This podcast is sponsored by IDS Consultant Ghana Limited, a company dedicated to supporting small and medium-sized enterprises with accounting and business advisory services at an affordable rate. Visit www.idsconsultantga.com to learn more. This is the Africa's Business Rockstars podcast. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Sheila Gabra of She by Bina. Enjoy. And a lot of people don't want to put in the work. You have to be hardworking. The work is not going to do it by itself. Even if you have hardworking people, you have to be able to lead. You have to be able to direct. If you can't do it, you need to hire someone who can do it. But at whichever given point in time, you have to be involved in what you are doing because it's when you are passionate and when you are dedicated that it will yield results. Hi there, welcome back. You're listening to Africa's Business Rockstars and today we're having a very interesting conversation with Sheila Gabra, the brain behind the She by Bina brand. So you were talking about how you started off and you basically had no name. Mm-hmm. Right? You, were just, you just had a will mm-hmm. and that was it. And now you've moved from that stage to the brand Shiba Ibina. How did that process come about? How did you know that I want to have a brand called Shiba Ibina, moving it from nothing to where you are right about now? I feel like every day was a learning process for me because like I said, I started like on a clean slate where I didn't know what the end of the tunnel looked like. I just knew that, okay, I'm going. And so there were so many learning experiences. There were things I didn't know how to do then that I do now. When you're Providing a service, you would deal with people from different walks of life. You have to accept it yeah. and you have to embrace it. Yeah. And so you would have people who are extremely rude. Prior to She by Bina, I would just go off on you. Yeah. Because me, I know my rights. I'm from Wesley <laughs> Girls. We know our rights. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> but then when you start dealing with people, you have to be patient. Yeah. So now it's not more about trying to be right all the time. You have clients that you need to satisfy will everybody leave happy chances are no you would have 10 clients and you would have maybe one or two unhappy clients yeah it's natural but you always have to strive to the point where you have more happy than unhappy people and you want the reviews to be good anybody who leaves you want them to tell one person who will tell two other people who will tell that's how the clientele numbers grow yeah so, yeah, I mean, I feel like everything was a work in progress, even with dealing with my tailors. I remember one of like the low points for me after I had gotten like some recognition, you know, on online, the tailor that made that Jocelyn's dress that trended, he came to me and told me, oh, he's he's going to seek greener pastures in Senegal. Oh, wow. I remember I cried like a baby. I cried like a <laughs> fool. I was standing there and I was just... Like, but no, you can't can't go. go. You can't go. Like, (laughs) seriously, what am I going to do? I was crying. And my dad had a talk with me and he told me that, you know what? They're not going to be with you forever. You have to come to terms with the fact that people will come and they will go. Yeah. So try to make your business sustainable. I mean, yes, when you have a good worker that leaves, 
you feel the blue is yes. natural. Yes. But you have to bounce back immediately. You have clients to serve. You have bills to pay. Yeah. It was one of the learning processes for me. So now when I started getting tailors, I tried to find everybody's strong points. Don't put all the power in one person's hand. Right. If that person ups and leaves, you're finished. Right. Even if I knew how to sew, from dealing with clients and dealing with tailors and dealing with going to town, getting this, getting that, I don't think I'd have had much time to be sitting behind the machine. Yeah. Because I was a, like more of like a one-man team. Yeah. Everything I have to supervise or I have to make sure that it's okay because at the end of the day, it's my name at stake. Yep. So... Dealing with people was generally difficult. My tailors gave me headaches. Some clients gave me headaches, but it's all a learning process. You still have loyal workers. Initially, I didn't even get tailors that would stay with me even for a year. Mm. It took like maybe two years into the business to have a tailor that would stay like for a whole year. What do you think the reason was? I mean, apart from a lot of people not being loyal, I mean, an artisan would leave you if he gets 50 Ghana CDs more from right. someone offering right. him. I even had cases whereby some of my own clients came to push my tailors. Mm. There were instances like that. And you'd be thinking like, but why would you come and push my tailor? But it's a competitive world. Yeah. And you have to bounce back from it. Yeah. And you can't be at the whim of every tailor when they say, okay, increase my salary, then you're increasing because you're afraid that you're going to lose the person. So it's a balance. Yeah. You have yeah. to strike a balance and then know what you're doing at every given point in time. Yeah. But... As you're doing this every day, you learn more on how to deal with it. You know, I could write a whole book. <laughs> I can't even pinpoint how I learned certain things. I just know that, okay, it just transitioned yeah. and I was just better at it. It's just part of the whole process. Part of the process. Yeah. So your dad's advice uh, when you lost your first, first tailor. Yeah, your first tailor. Really solid advice from a father figure. So it's like the support was there. He believed in your dream, right? Well, initially, not quite. Okay. Initially, it's like, ah, and I, I've t- sent you to school for six years, <laughs> paid your school fees. And I'm sure I was like one of those kids who was always asking for money. Yeah. And I've paid your school fees for six years and now you're out. You want to go and sue? Like, are you serious? Yeah. I, I remember one of my uncles asking me, like, are you okay? You know, <laughs> are you okay? How do you want to go and sue? So initially, my dad was disappointed. My, my dad does not want to. He never said anything directly to me like, I'm disappointed in you or anything. Okay. I just could tell that he wasn't exactly thrilled about my... Your choice. My choice. Yeah. But that, to me, turned around really quickly because I feel like from the time that he saw how passionate I was about it yeah. and how much work I was putting into it... Yeah. That was it. Into people coming into your your dining hall. So <laughs> it's like, okay, she started something and she's very dedicated to what she's doing. Yeah. And so if she's happy, then I'm happy. Yeah. And my mom was still not going right the GIE and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it took you a while to still have to let them actually believe in the dream, right? It wasn't there from the get-go. It wasn't there sides. from the get-go, but they were never not supportive either. Okay. You know, okay. I, I don't think I ever had a time with my parents where I felt negativity from them because they didn't want me to do it. It's like, no, don't do it or okay. no. They, they were still supportive. Yeah. They were still supportive from the get-go. But at which point in time do you think they sat back and said, hmm... Sheila is not crazy after all. This thing works. For my dad, I feel like it was right from probably the first month or two. Okay. Because my dad is someone who watches intently but doesn't talk much. Okay. So a lot goes on in his (laughs) mind. Yeah. So he was just watching me and 
there were many times I saw him look at me with like a sense of pride. Yeah. I wasn't making that much money. Yeah. I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But just looking at me and like, I think at that time he felt like, okay, my, my little girl is now a woman, yeah. you know, cause I had workers. I was going and coming. Yeah. I wasn't collecting money from my parents. I mean, once I hired that, you give money for fuel. Yeah. But I feel like almost soon after I started She by Bina, I stopped taking money from my parents. Yeah. Yeah. So I was basically like surviving on, yes, I live in my parents' house. It's not like I have to go and rent a place, but then things to do with what I needed personally, mm. I was able to, you know, mm. afford from what I was running. Mm. And that to my dad was, I think he was proud. Just proud of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's still proud. He's so proud of me. <laughs> do you remember your first, well, I call it a paycheck. I guess it was a nine to five with your paycheck. Your first money that you made from Shiba Bina. How much was it? Of course, she was my first client. How much was that? Maybe like 60 Ghana CDs or 50 Ghana CDs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think her her bill included fabric. So I don't remember. The sewing price was probably 50 Ghana CDs. Okay. Maybe the fabric was like 20 CDs a yard. So she probably paid like 100 in all for her outfit. Yeah. But yeah. But definitely you're not charging that amount of money today. I mean, times have changed. Yes. <laughs> and um, I hear a lot of people say I'm expensive. Why would they say expensive? How much does a dress cost, an average dress plus fabric? Okay. Um, so we have from simple short dresses mm. to like evening gowns mm. to wedding gowns. So a short dress could be anything from 350 Ghana CDs to sew. Okay. That doesn't include the fabric. It doesn't include the fabric. First of all, I have always had French tailors. I tried to hire Ghanaian tailors, but it just didn't work out for some reason. Okay. I would have a tailor that would come and then doesn't want to come back the next day or would come for two days and won't show up after. It just seemed like the Ghanaians were not as serious. It's okay. sad to say because I'm obviously fully Ghanaian. Right. Yeah. But I just didn't used to get as much seriousness from Ghanaian workers as I did from Ivorian tailors. And then Ivorians are, are masters at cutting. So they are really good at what they do. And I just stuck with that. But then the downside to that is that they are sending money to their families back in Ivory Coast. They spend the safer. We use the city. And it was always pegged in such a way that it's like when they try to change the city to the safer, they are like, oh, the money is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> and the city has lost its value. And now when I send money to my family instead of this is this and they were always whining. Right. So, I mean, my workers alone, paying my workers was generally more expensive than if I had a Ghanaian team. So with that, you can't charge less than a certain amount. Otherwise, yeah. you just be working and be making no profit. Right. And then at a point when I actually felt like, okay, I'm doing this. I've mastered it. There were so many good reviews and I knew that, okay, the work is good. So I can charge a certain amount, not exorbitant, but still charge a certain amount because the work that we are doing is good. They are taking their time. Yeah. And when you get your finished product, you're happy. Yeah. You know, so yes, back to what I was saying. Some people find Chiba Bina expensive and some people are happy to pay yeah. the charges that we charge. Do you have a target clientele? I don't think so. Okay. Because over the years, it's not been a constant clientele. Okay. Initially, I feel like I was suing for more younger more younger women. Okay. But now I saw for older and younger women. Mm. So it's a mix. It's a mix. Okay. It's a good mix. Okay. Yeah. We saw for everybody. How many tailors do you have now? Currently I have six tailors. Six. Yeah. So how did you grow from your first two to your six? Well, it was just a. I I feel like every year you have more orders 
you have more clients to provide for. And so you need more hands. Yeah. You know, so six hasn't actually been my largest number. Maybe my largest number of tailors has been seven. Okay. But sometimes you just have to be able to be strategic and whatever you're doing has to make sense. Yeah. Because you might have seven tailors. It doesn't necessarily translate to money. Right. You might have seven tailors, but maybe three of them are not that good. That's rather costing you than actually adding. Right. So at every given time, you have to be strategic about your workers. If you don't need that many and the number that you have is still being able to provide for the clientele that you have you stick to that right but your constant number is six probably five 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 constant people again okay, and you tend to bring in more people as and when depends on the as and load. when depending right yes seem to have a solid hold on your financials did you have like a business plan do you have someone working your numbers do you work your own numbers you know initially i mean before i started she by being i had a business plan i don't think i ever used it okay yeah so i learned on the job right i had been doing my financials till like last year yeah. I mean before that people kept saying that yeah you need someone to run your business because technically speaking okay you get in money day in day out so you'd be under the you probably feel like okay I'm making so much money yeah but really you need to have someone doing your numbers to know your profit margin to yeah. know if all the work that you're putting in is actually worth your while how much money you made how much money went into things you were buying what you can stop or yeah. do more yeah. yes initially i was doing my numbers yeah well it worked for a while but last year i decided to let someone who you know could Who's run like an yes an expert field. run that field so i don't have to worry about that yeah and so far it's been good right you also started from two machines and now you've moved to how many what was it like when you know year after year was it year after year or month of the month when you're actually um, adding on to definitely not month after month <laughs> but then obviously as the tailors increased in numbers yeah. you need machines for everybody to work so probably now i probably have about 10 machines okay what have been those totally amazing moments that sort of blew your mind you were not expecting this to happen to she by being at all um Case in point, um, you won the Glitz Africa Emerging Designer of the Year Award, which was 2013. You know, Velisco Fund as well. So was it 2013? Yes, it was 2013. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a number of years, Sheila. Okay, okay. <laughs> and then the Velisco Fund as well, also for the year um, 2013 as well. So what have I been feel those like moments for my you? most exhilarating moment was when I won the third place for the Velisco Fashion Fund. It was so exciting it was a humbling experience and it just motivated me and it just showed me that okay you are on the right path and the sky is your limit so i mean a quick story through this vlisco fund there was a lady who called me and said oh vlisco is doing a, a competition for people who make clothes and um, you should probably you know send in your i think at that time we we're sending in our business the business plans, plans okay. yes and then some of your designs okay when she told me and I checked the date, I think it was two days to the deadline. Wow. <laughs> and I was thinking, I'm not going to do this. And besides these things, now, I, I never win anyways. <laughs> but then a part of me also was like, what's the harm? What's the harm? Just do it. Yeah. So I remember I started working. I already had a business plan. So I just worked on it. Yeah. I enhanced the business plan. I added more. Because by that time, I'd actually been like a year into what I was doing. Okay. I knew more. And then I had some designs to show. And even when I was doing the business plan, there was a point when I was like, look, the deadline, they said 5 p.m. on, I think it was a Sunday or something. 
As at like 4.30, I had not finished <laughs> what I was doing. A part of me was like, you know what, just, just forget. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, you've come this far. Just submit what you have. Yeah. And I did. I submitted before five. And then I forgot about it. And then I think a week after, somebody called me and said, oh, Aishi Lagabra said yes. And said, oh, you've been shortlisted as part of the top, was it 10 or 20? And mm. this is like in Africa. Oh, wow. Yes. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> I was so excited. I didn't even believe it. I said, are you serious? <laughs> like in the whole of Africa, top 20. Good. I can work with that. But even then, I was like, yeah, probably, yeah, top t- top 20, yes. My 10 seconds of fame. <laughs> Nobody even know you're part of the top 20. Then they call me the next day, okay, you made it to the top 10. I'm like, okay. So that's when I started, like, I sat up and I'm like, okay, I think I'm onto something. Yeah. And then I was called again and I made a top five. Wow. So it's like every day the news was getting better. Yeah. yeah. And then finally the news came out and said, oh, you're fed. Cash prize of $5,000. Wow. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> It was so exciting. And I was just like, wow. I just couldn't believe it. So, and that, I feel like, was the the pinnacle for what I was doing at that time. Because it just showed me that you can do whatever you set your mind to do. And once you're dedicated and you have the passion for it, the sky is your limit. I mean, you will fall a couple of times, but then keep going. So by that time, I mean, nobody could tell me nothing. I'm like, <laughs> I can do this. Soon after that, I took part in the glitz fashion, the one you mentioned. Right. And then I won the emerging designer. And it was surreal because, you know, there were other people doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my work stood out. Yeah. And people liked my work. And I was actually doing something. You know, so I feel like in these moments, it is extremely humbling because you remember where you started from. And mind you, at this time, we're still sewing on the porch. All, all these awards I received were on, on the porch. I didn't have a <laughs> shop. And um, it just kept me going. Yeah, It just kept me going because every time I feel like, okay, I can do better and I can do this. Yeah. So even when there are low moments when your tailor will walk out on you or times when a client will tell you something, oh, your dress is very bad. Or, you're, you know, you look at the good times and then all the positive sides and then that keeps you going. Right. And now, I mean, you've gone so far on that. You've gone to actually open up a flagship store. Yes. Right. I did that almost two years ago. Okay. Actually, I've been sewing for five years. Wow. When I finally... Someone on the porch for five years. We were on the porch for five years. Wow. I mean, there were times when it was raining and the rain is like coming on the tables and we have to literally stop and everybody will huddle in some corner to wait for the rain to stop. There were times where there were mosquitoes. I mean, I feel like my tailors at that time were troopers because there were bad weather conditions. I'm not talking like we had tornadoes or hills or whatever. You know, we used to work till evening there are mosquitoes when the sun is shining we're hot there when it's raining the water is coming in like it wasn't the most favorable condition to work under but we still did it like we're working in a shop it didn't phase us you know at that time people will come and then they'll be like "Ah, if she she by being like this is it yeah is this it (laughs) that's all it porch has there been any moment where it was sort of like a shocker? You know, you didn't expect anything to happen to you by a particular person, probably within your circle, but then that's what happened. 
business related? I feel like business related, probably one of the things that come to mind is when I tried to rent my first shop. Okay. I mean, that was the only time I tried to rent a shop for Shiba Bina because I was looking for an outlet. There was someone I knew who was, she was actually subletting her shop. Okay. You know, I remember at that time, the rent was $300 a month. Even at that time, $300 a month, there was no small amount of money. So this is somebody that I actually respected, looked up to. And she was saying, oh, so she has a shop. And I said, you know what? I don't have the, I don't have the capital. Yeah. Like, cause you know, in Ghana, you have to pay one year's rent, two years right. rent. I said, I don't have the capital. I feel like I'm not ready for that now. She said, oh, don't worry about it. You don't even have to pay the full thing. You can pay monthly. Okay. I was like, okay, I can work with that. Yeah. So we go to the shop. It's cute. And um, I actually have it painted. I have it like specced up to how I want it. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, you know what? I feel like you should just pay the first six months. To be honest, I wasn't even ready for a store then. Okay. But the deal was good. So I'm like, okay, let me start paying the rent and give myself maybe two to three months yeah. to be ready. And yeah. then, you know, I was, I would be ready to stock the shop and everything. So the first thing she said was, I think you should just come and pay like six months rent so that you forget about the first six months. Hmm. And I was thinking, hmm, I mean, that wasn't the plan. I probably should have backed out then. Yeah. That was a sign. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, I mean, it makes sense. Let me just come up with this six months rent. And then after that, I don't have to worry till the six months yeah. is up. So I paid $1,800. After that, maybe like two months into it or maximum three months. She's like, you know, I think you should bring the second six months because the guy that she's actually renting this shop from is giving her a lot of pressure. And at least with that, you know that you've paid for the year. You don't have to worry about anything again. So I was like, hmm. At that time, I started getting a bit worried yeah so i came up with the cash another thousand eight hundred and i paid it off and by this time i'm trying to like okay give myself maybe a three month time period to be ready to set up shop right so then i'm still working towards that but i, I was actually delaying you know so i'm looking at okay i know that at least by maybe the fourth or fifth month yeah it doesn't matter i'll forgo the amount i've paid but you you have to sacrifice something of to course, get something yeah by that time when i'm like nearly there this woman is asking me for the next year's rent. After paying your one year and After advance. paying one year. We started from pay monthly. monthly. So at that time, I'm like, hmm, I feel like there's a reason why I haven't moved into the shop. Yeah. And this is why. You know, because I felt like, even a part of me felt like I was actually stalling a bit, wasting time moving. I didn't yeah. understand. Do you understand? Yeah. But So when she asked me, I said, you know what, auntie, this is not what we agreed on. We agreed on monthly. Yeah. And I had been asking her for the tenancy agreement. I never got it. I kept asking week after week after week. Can I have the tenancy agreement to know like what we're dealing with? Yeah. I never got it. So when she asked me for the next year, I told her, auntie, I can't. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't move, then I can get somebody who can come. And by that time, I felt like, you know what? This is the sign. Yeah. There have been signs. This one, if you don't follow this sign, God has shown you the clear sign. Yeah. Yeah. So I told her, you know what? I don't think I'm interested anymore. By this time, probably about, let's say, five months had passed with this back and forth thing. She refused to give me back my money. I was going to ask what happened to your thousand eight hundred. Yeah, it poof. Wow. Disappear. Magic. And she was actually like now talking about me saying I had ripped her. I was disrespectful. I wasn't disrespectful in any way. And especially because you know how elderly women in Ghana 
Ah, I tried. I mean, I was so aggrieved and disappointed. This is like a startup business. Yeah. I didn't have that much cash to come up with that $3,600. Like, I had to tighten my belt yeah. properly, yeah. you know? So I was just so aggrieved, upset. But I was not disrespectful to her. And I was thinking, I mean, if it's your daughter, you don't treat your child like that. Do you understand? You know this is like somebody who is struggling, trying to make something of what she has. The least she could have done, even if you decide that, okay, you've wasted five months, so you don't get that back. But I'm going to rent it out, so get the balance. Yeah. I never got a dime till date. And at that time, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to rent any store. I'm going to build. I'm going to build. So, so that, that was... spurred you on yes. to, yeah, to get your own flagship store. Exactly. <laughs> this was in which year? I think this was probably in 20... 14 okay i think but you opened up your store in which year i opened up my store two years ago so that would have been 2017 2017. january 2017 okay yeah what was what was that like tell us about it it was exciting like i don't think i've ever experienced anything like it and i was just so excited yeah you know I don't even know how I did it. I mean, it took me about a year to build the shop or a little over a year. So there was this space, garden space in my house. And we decided that, okay, that's where I'm going to build my shop. So from day one, I started documenting. I had pictures of the garden patch. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have a long way to go. Day in, day out, like dealing with masons and art. I mean, it was a struggle. Yeah. But that's where your architectural background came to play, that right? That is where my architectural <laughs> background came to play. Yeah. And I knew exactly what I wanted. And it was just in my backyard. So when I wake up in the morning, I see the work that is going. And it was exciting, you know. So we laid the foundation. We finished with the ground floor. We started the first floor. It was just so much. We did the roofing. I saw everything, like, as and when, you know. yeah. And it was right there. So, like, as soon as I get a bit of money, I invest it back into it. As soon as I get some money, I invest it. And um, even my neighbor finished building like a massive house in the shorter time <laughs> that I built my shop. But yeah, slow but surely, yeah. we finished. We finished. And um, I even remember before the shop opening, I'd lost so much weight. I was like <laughs> down to like 58 kilos. And I was tired. I did everything. Like you're choosing everything from the colors to how you want it when they don't get it right because a lot of people don't get it right. You have to be there. You even tell them, please do this. Leave this window here. You go out and come back. They put the window <laughs> at another side. And I'm like, this is not rocket science. Yeah. You know? And this is even like the house was right in my compound. So imagine if I had to like go to a site. Go to a site. Yeah. And I'll say, no, this is supposed to be here. And say, oh no, madam, you, we forgot. And then it was a nightmare. So I was just, I was just excited to be over and down with that part. And it was so fun to like choose the colors, do the interior. I think the interior was the most fun for me. Okay. Picking my furniture, like designing how I wanted the place to look like from my front desk to like the display areas how I partitioned for my office. It was just exciting. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't know I was building. Only maybe the clients that were coming in at that time would see that there was something going on. Yeah. So I remember a lot of people were shocked. And when people actually came in, it was just so satisfying to see the looks on people because people were like genuinely happy. Yeah. Genuinely impressed. You know, even my dad, 
that day, my dad was, it was emotional. It was a very emotional day for me. I was yeah. weeping like a fool and then smiling and then weeping after five minutes. And it was just, <laughs> it was just a very emotional day for me. But till date, I mean, that has by far been one of the highest things on my list in yeah. terms of achievement. Yeah. And to think that I was able to build that shop from my sweat. Yeah. I mean, people have their different opinions of how the shop came up. Yeah. Ghanaian gossip. <laughs> I know how the shop came up and it just showed me like time and time again, it showed me that, you know what, anything under the sun that you set your mind to, it's not going to be easy, but it's attainable. Me, it's a testimony for me. It's a testimony because hard work pays off. Anybody who says that, no, hard work, I mean, it's a lie. Yeah. Hard work pays off. I've, I'm like, I'm a living proof yeah. of hard work paying off. So I believe in it excessively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the future of Shibaibina? Right now, I have my flagship shop. I have an international recognition because I have people from different parts of the world. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention I was featured on CNN. Oh, wow. How did that happen? Was it like a call? Were you sitting? What were you doing when the call came through? Or It was someone contacted me and said, oh, they are doing a feature on Kinte on CNN and wondering if I wanted to like be part of the story. This is so a random call or someone you knew? It was actually a random call. And um, initially when they even called me, I don't know, but for some reason, I don't even remember being so excited. <laughs> and then they'll come and film. But by the time we were like in actually filming it, then it started to like dawn on me like, okay, this is, this is CNN. <laughs> this is, this is kind of serious, you know? <laughs> We filmed that. I remember when we finished, I forgot about it. And then there was this day I came, I came, I could hear my phone beeping. I don't know what I was doing. And then I picked up my phone and I had like a zillion messages. Hey, on CNN. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm on <laughs> CNN, you know? I had messages from like all over the world and it was just so humbling yeah and people were messaging me from different parts not only in africa like there was somebody who messaged me from i think was it afghanistan mm. someone from sri lanka oh we just saw your feature on cnn you are doing a good job and i remember thinking like i can't believe it this is not me <laughs> i can't believe it you know, and even the way people reacted to it. And I was like, wow, this is a big deal. I mean, I would have never dreamt that I'd wake up one day and I'll be on CNN telling my story. Yeah. So, Sheila, technically, you don't have any formal training in terms of sewing and tailoring. Yes. No, Yet, I don't. when we look at the Shibaibina brand, you've been able to build this from the ground up and you created mm -hmm. a success story um, so far. In your opinion, what do you think that's accounted for this? I mean, it definitely hasn't been a walk in the park. Skills are definitely important. Right. If I had known how to sew, I'd have probably been able to um, get over some hurdles quicker than I did. Oh, yeah. However, that didn't slow me down either. I wasn't perturbed by the fact that I didn't know how to sew. I'm a very quick learner and I'm a go-getter. And I knew that I, I have an eye for this. So I'm dealing with like tailors who feel like they are God's gift to tailorship on earth. Yeah. But a tailor can be in the middle of making a dress and I look at it and I can tell that 
what you are doing, this thing is not going to come out the way it's supposed to be. Or the waist is going to come out too low. Or the sleep, I can tell. And initially, they didn't used to take me seriously, you know, because it's like they think they know what they're doing. Right. But every time I raise a concern about something, yeah, I know you know how to sew and I don't, but it's my design. And I'm telling you that what you are doing is not going to, you have to have the eye for detailing. Yeah. So even, I don't just give them the work and just walk away. I mean, initially, you feel like, okay, you're dealing with people who know what they are doing. So you give them the work and you go, okay, I'm going to town to go and buy something. By the time you come, (laughs) you can get high blood pressure. And you'll be wondering, I mean, this is not rocket science. I explained everything to you. So a lot of my time, I spent monitoring the tailors, supervising. Even in terms of how neat the work would come out. When I started, because I didn't have prior knowledge in this there were some things i didn't know yeah so yes the outside looks nice but the inside might not look that great maybe it wasn't that neat so you start focusing on things that you feel like are taken away from the brand right i also try to educate myself so i did a lot of like reading internet is your friend man like you can learn a lot i watch fashion shows i watch building up patterns cutting anything that could help i mean help my brand to get better so i was always open to learning you i don't think there's anybody on this earth that knows everything you have to always be open to learning no matter how knowledgeable you think you are that was what i kept doing every year i would learn something i didn't know the previous year or how to go about stuff i at a point sometimes i was even teaching my tailors okay maybe i mean i don't know how to do it but maybe if you did it this way yeah (laughs) it could work yeah and they'll do it and it'll and work. Voila. <laughs> you know? So I don't think it's only about if anybody feels like, oh, yeah, she doesn't sew. What does she know? You are wrong. Yeah. Because all you have to do is to be very dedicated to what you are doing. If you put as much dedication into what you are doing, you have to be able to lead. My workshop is male-dominated. Yeah. I'm the only female there. I mean, the PI I hired recently is female. She helps me up there. But it's male-dominated. These are men with egos. Yeah. Men with, and I mean, a lot of the tailors came from backgrounds where they don't even respect women, you know. But you have to be tough. And I was resilient. Like, yeah, if I don't even get it right this time, I'll do it and get it right again the next time. So you have to be tough. You have to be a people person. You have to know when to be firm and when to, like, maybe be a bit soft. Like it's all dealing with people, dealing with, and you, you can't just sit down. Okay. You got it right today. So that's it. There's always something to learn. Yeah. And you learn from your mistakes. So when you fall, you get up and you do it again. Right. You know? So, I mean, kudos to those who actually have been to fashion school. I wish I did before I started, but it hasn't stopped me. It hasn't slowed me down. Mm. You just need to be able to manage people properly. Because even if you know how to sew and you have workers and you cannot manage them. Mm-hmm. You're back at square one. You're back at square one. <laughs> but this sounds really time consuming. So how has it affected what you do, like your free time, any sacrifices you've had to make? I mean, initially, I'm sure I sounded like a broken record to my friends when, oh, let's go here. Oh, I have work. Oh, I have a client coming. I'm sure people felt like, oh, this girl is just being busy for nothing. Yeah. Or oh, I'm exaggerating. Yeah. But then... I literally was there for every fitting. I'm there to supervise the tailors. I'm there when the clients are fitting. I'm there when the client is coming to order. For a long time, 
I was doing everything. I mean, I have the workers, but dealing with clients one-on-one, that was me. Dealing with the tailors, giving out the work. It wasn't until like maybe probably about two years ago that I feel like my brand was able to stand a bit independently when I wasn't there because I still source fabrics. So I travel a couple of times a year Okay. or I have breaks sometimes. So if I'm going to buy fabrics, I need to go. Yeah. Maybe I'm going for six days. Yeah. The business has to be able to survive without me. Exactly. Initially, it was a struggle. For example, every August, September, I'll take my yearly break. Okay. So I'll be gone for a month. But when I'm gone, my workers will work for two weeks before they take a two-week break. The first two weeks was like a nightmare. So I'm in America where we are like four hours behind. <laughs> I have to be up at four directing them because it's eight o'clock in Ghana. It was a struggle, you know, but then I started getting more efficient people. So I got some PAs that were actually really quick to learn on the job. And then finally, when I travel, I mean, they would still message you, okay, we don't know what to do here or we're stuck here. And I would still want to know, okay, what's this tailor doing today? What's the tailor? Because I have to give the, the okay because I know everybody's strong points and weak points. You still have to be involved. And you can't just take a break and just log off for one month. This is your brand. Yeah. It's your name. Yeah. When the work comes out, if it's bad, they're not going to remember the tailor's name or your PA, even if he's responsible for the mess. Yeah. It's you. So you have to be 100% involved. You cannot run a business and think that, oh, you're going to live life and enjoy because you've made some money every, every other week vacation. No, your business is going to fail. Is going to fail miserably. And even in general, I see people from the younger, slightly younger generation these days that they want the finished product, but they are not willing to put in the work. Or you see even me on Instagram and Sunday I'm glammed up and I'm wearing my high heels and I'm wearing a cute dress. And they're like, oh, life is good for this girl. But come to me during the week. Sometimes I'm walking around like a zombie. Headless horseman. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because at that time, there's work going on. It's not always the way you might see me on Sunday on Instagram. It's not how you're going to come and see me. Even Christmas time when people are waiting on their clothes. You might even come, you even recognize me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because at that time, you're putting in work. Without the work, if you're not putting in the work for that foundation, your, your structure is not going to be solid. And a lot of people don't want to put in the work. You have to be hardworking. The work is not going to do it by itself. Even if you have hardworking people, you have to be able to lead. You have to be able to direct. If you can't do it, you need to hire someone who can do it. But at whichever given point in time, you have to be involved in what you are doing. Because it's when you are passionate and when you are dedicated that it will yield results. What's the one thing that keeps you going? It's my fear to fail. I don't want to fail. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to fail, you know, and that keeps me going. Yeah. Would you say Shibabina is currently profitable? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. When, Definitely. When in the many years you've chalked, do you actually think it started to become profitable? I mean, initially I was telling you that the first year I was running it, I'm sure even I was running at a loss. Yeah. You know, but every year it just got better. Yeah. Your clientele number increases because you are learning from your experience. So you know that, okay, this is working, but this is not. So maybe stop doing this and do this more. Every year, you're able to progress. Yeah. So, I mean, by the grace of God, every year, I feel like we do better. We are sewing for more people. 
we are able to make good profit margins mm-hmm. to reinvest back into it. I can still put some aside and take my vacation yeah. once a year. I mean, we're not doing badly. We are doing good. I would say that anybody who has a dream to start any business, just start. Because when I started, I mean, if anybody had told me in six years, Shibaibina would have come this far, I'd have probably not believed it. I'm just being honest with you. But we have come further than I anticipated that we would. Right. So, Sheila, on Africa's Business Rockstars, we have what we call the Rockstars quote. That's really your favorite saying that just keeps you going, that spurs you on day by day. So what is your favorite Rockstar quote? It would probably be, it's a Bible verse. Fantastic. So it's Proverbs 31, 25. And it says, she is clothed in strength and dignity. She will laugh at the days to come. Fantastic. She by <laughs> is definitely laughing as the years have gone by. So this is Africa's Business Rockstars. We've been talking to Sheila Gabra of She by Bina. We hope you enjoy it and we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye.